Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, which God had prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated, seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, this vision of your throne is so humbling. Lord, we worry about things that don't matter in the scheme of your eternity. You are the Alpha and the Omega, Omega, the beginning and the end, and you will provide a new earth. This one is going to pass away. And we thank you that you are on the throne, that you are the one who is in control of all things, that we can trust you with every ounce of our being. So, Father, today... As Pastor Scott talks about heaven, I just pray, Lord, that you would give us a longing, a longing to be there with you. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Last week, we began to look at the topic of the afterlife. And I made the statement that there are only two destinations in store for humans. The first is hell, which, because of our sinful state, is the default destination. In ancient Rome, they had an effective way to deter theft. They made you suffer torture on a cross until you were dead. But as we saw last week, the punishment doled out by the human courts is nothing compared to the punishment that is handed down by our heavenly judge. We see this reality in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Notice here that it states that thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, he had an interaction with two thieves. They were receiving their just punishment for their sins from the Romans, 
And they were about to, in just an hour or two from that point, receive their just punishment eternally in hell. But during their conversation, he told one of them that they would be with him in paradise. And so their destination changed from hell to paradise or heaven. Listen to what's recorded in Luke 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals who were hanged there railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so something changed in this man. Something that he believed, something that he put his faith in, something that he declared with his mouth that changed his eternal destination. And this morning from Scripture, I want to show you that destination of that believing thief, what he could look forward to, and what you can look forward to if you believe the same things that he believed. And so what are the things that this believing thief could expect in heaven? We're looking at this chapter that uh, Sherry just read, uh, Revelation chapter 21. Uh, If you want to follow along in your Bible there, it's the second chapter from the very end of the Bible. And by the way, this is my favorite uh, chapter in the Bible. First of all, we see in uh, verse 1 that he will see a new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This earth and everything on it is going to burn up. The Bible tells us that that fire that comes when Jesus returns will burn up all the elements of this earth. But that he is preparing a new place, a new earth. And so many people don't look forward to heaven or don't want to think about it because they have a misconception of what heaven is all about. And much of this can come from the media cartoons that we see of a little saint in a white robe sitting on a cloud playing a harp, a cloud playing a harp. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound fun to me to do that forever. And so, what are those things that we can expect on this new earth? Well, we can expect things like nature that is not affected by the curse. Because so much of the problems that we see in this world are because of sin and because of decay and because of corruption that's happened. And so we're going to have the best of this world without sin. And so we can look forward to that, the best of the Garden of Eden. Second, we see that he has a dwelling place prepared by God. We see this in verses 2 and 3. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so we see there this new place, the capital city of the new earth, coming down from heaven and resting on the earth. Just a couple of things about this new Jerusalem. It has 12 gates around that are open all the time. Uh, There's no need for light because there is no night. And it's a huge city. It's actually a cubed city, 1,400 miles cubed, meaning that it's as wide and deep and high altogether, 1,400 miles each. 
And I was wondering to myself as I read that back in the day, I was like, why is it so high? And I think it's because the Bible talks continually about the holy mountain of the Lord. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And so perhaps the height of the city is because there's a huge mountain and we go up to the throne of the Lord. But what we see here is there's plenty of room for us, plenty of space in this amazing place. And that's just the new Jerusalem. We're not talking about the entire new earth there. Jesus, before he left, said, In my Father's house there are many mansions or dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you, so that where I am you may be also. And so what that tells us is that we will dwell there. We will live there. You'll have a bed. You'll have a place that you go. You'll have a kitchen. You'll have a living room. You'll be able to invite people in to this place. And that's an amazing thing to look forward to. Because I think about our lost relatives, my mom. She died at 56, which is young when I think about my own age today. And she loved to cook. She loved to have people in the house and gathered around. And she had this tiny little gallery kitchen. And it was not much to look at, had outdated you know, appliances and all of that. But she was in there creating these amazing uh, dishes. Loved to have us there. And I can imagine my mom in her new dwelling place with her new kitchen. <laughs> Way better than Viking appliances, right? Because God made it. And she's there preparing uh, a meal so that her uh, family can come, her friends can gather there together. And so we have this amazing place, this dwelling place that is created by God. Each one of you, you have a space there for you. And we see that in verse 3 that God dwells with them. He's going to live with us. Right now, we can't see God. But there it says we will see our God. We will see his face. Because on this earth, we can't just go and say, hey, let's go visit God today. Right? Let's go see him. And the reason why is because God, if he came down right this moment in this sanctuary in his holiness, we would be burned up. We could not withstand the holiness and the glory and the majesty of God because we still live in sinful bodies. But you're going to be receiving a body there that is imperishable and perfect and holy, and you can be in the very presence of the holy God. You can see his face. There's God on the throne. And so, amazing, amazing place. Next, we see here that he will never cry again, this believing thief. In verse 4, And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Right in this verse, we see those things that cause us to cry. There are three things listed here. Death. In this world, we live in the valley of the shadow of death. Death is all around us. I just this week found out about three different people in my life that had passed from different circumstances. And so you're always waiting for that phone call. Somebody had an accident. This person's got cancer. This person had a stroke. This person died. And that is a shadow that covers us right now. We walk in that all the time. And I think we don't even really realize how much it affects our lives, but when we get to heaven and it's lifted, we'll go, wow, how did we survive there? 
under the shadow of death. And this place where there is no more death. Also, we see that there's no more pain. As I get older, I could start at the bottom of my feet and work my way up to the top of my head, and there's a checklist of all kinds of crazy things that are wrong with my body. <laughs> and the older you get, the longer the list gets, right? Because we break down. Our bodies are not meant to go on forever in this life. And so we will have no more pain there. My second son, Elijah, I told him about this. I was reading about this in a devotion around our dinner table one time, and he said, no more pain? Sweet, I could just jump off of a cliff, roll down to the bottom, go into the water, drown a couple times, come back, have fun, do it all over again. And that was his idea of a wonderful time, you know, in heaven. For me, I had a bad volleyball injury when I was 21 years old. I sprained my ankle so bad that it affected the cartilage, and now, to this day, I have effects from that. I can't run, I can't play tennis, I can't do impact sports, I hike too long or go to the grocery store for too long, and it starts to affect me. But that's going to be gone there. And I can do all those things that I wanted to do with my kids growing up that I couldn't do. And so very excited for the fact that there's no more pain. And especially for you today who are sitting here in this place in chronic pain. You're in maybe even excruciating pain. I can see it on Denise's face throughout this entire service, which is a great you know, witness to her in this message that that's going to be gone. And some of you just live with that. It'll be gone when you get to heaven. Also, we see no more mourning. I think this speaks to things like friendships that are lost, people that walk away in disunity, divorce, emotional injuries. None of those things will take place there because you will not lose relationships in heaven. In fact, you will continually gain relationships in heaven because every person that you meet in heaven becomes a new friend, a new person that you get to spend forever with together. And so, amazing things about heaven there. Next, we see that he is adopted as a son. We see this in verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. For many of you, you've had inheritances in your life, perhaps. Somebody died and left you something. And I've never seen more fighting and anger in my life than when an inheritance is left to a family. People that were fine with each other as brothers and sisters or uncles or whatever suddenly turn into enemies and turn on one another to devour this piece of silver or this $10,000 or whatever it is. Minimal things compared to the glory of eternity. And yet we see here, when we go to heaven, we inherit everything that God has and everything that God is. There'll be no more bickering, no more arguing, no more fighting over my little piece of the pie. Because you have it all in heaven. And it's an amazing thing because we will be adopted as his children. No longer slaves, but children. You'll also have many, many more siblings. If you're an only child now or if you've lost uh, siblings in this life, don't worry because you will have millions upon millions of new siblings in heaven, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's an amazing promise. Also, we see here, number five, that he will be part of a righteous and ruling nation. We have to skip down to verses 24 through 26. By its light, the light of the New Jerusalem, 
will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Notice here, on the new earth, there are nations. Because nations are not bad in and of themselves. What makes them bad is the corruption and sin that are underlying many of their decisions. You said this bad thing about me, so I'm going to send my missile over there and bomb you. This is my border, and you crossed it. No longer will we have that. But notice that there are nations, there are races, there are separate types of people there. And I think when we get there, some of the beauty that we see on this earth will be in the new uh, heavens, the new earth. We'll see races. You'll be able to look at somebody and say, oh, that person looks Hispanic to me. And there are certain things about their culture that they will bring as glory into the new Jerusalem. I don't know if you've seen these national parades where you see different people that are dressed in the amazing garb of their race and culture. The different foods, the different dances, the dialects, all those things, I believe, will be preserved. And notice it also says that there are kings that bring their glory. That means that there is some kind of order and rule that's going to be happening there. It's not just a free-for-all. And so it won't be like here, you're not going to be an American or whatever like that because it's a new earth. But you will be in a region that will be ruled over by certain people and you will be part of this amazing governmental process without all the sinful things that make it so discouraging now. And I'm looking forward to that very much. Also, we see in verse 27 here that this thief will never experience unclean things again. It says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I don't know if you've ever been standing, talking to somebody, and then the hackles on the back of your neck kind of start standing up, because you're like, this guy's kind of shady. This person, I don't know about their motives. I, something's wrong here. That will never, ever happen to you again in heaven. And the reason is because we are transparent there. What people say is what they mean. What you see is what you get. There's no falsehood in these relationships any longer. And I'm looking forward to that probably more than almost anything because it's so hard to determine sometimes and have discernment about what people's motives are. Sometimes my own motives even, right? Nothing unclean there. Also, in this life, many times you run into very detestable things just out in the world. Mary and I went to a movie the other night, and it was kind of a historical movie, and I thought, oh, this will be really good to see after our date or whatever. Walked away just slimed, because it was just disgusting, you know? It was like, I, I didn't feel better when I saw the movie. I felt worse. And you'll never have that in heaven, because there's nothing detestable, only things that will build you up and help you in your relationship with one another and with God. And finally, the best thing, he gets to see Jesus. We don't see this in this passage, but we see it back in the Luke passage. Today you will be with me in paradise. With me, with Jesus. Forever we get to be with him. I want you to note carefully the phrase that the thief said that saved him. It's very important. First of all, he feared God. 
Do you not fear God since you're on the same sentence of condemnation? This thief recognized that God can do bad stuff to you. He can throw you in hell. He has power, unlimited power over your life. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want wisdom, fear the Lord. Recognize his power and position in your life. Second, he acknowledged that he deserves death. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due penalty for our, our uh, deeds. He recognized he was a sinner, that he had done bad things, that he deserved death. Third, he declared Jesus was innocent. This man has done nothing wrong. Many people have a hang-up with that. They think that Jesus was a great teacher or a wonderful person, but a perfect man, the Son of God? Fourth, he asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. You know, so many people stop at the third step. They know they're sinners. Maybe they even declare that Jesus is perfect. They fear God, but they never go on to ask Jesus to remember them when he comes into their kingdom. They never place their trust in him for their eternal salvation. Such a simple process, and yet millions and millions of people every day reject it, and they go off to an eternal destination that was not prepared for them initially, but for the devil and his angels. And so my question this morning for you is, have you taken those four steps? Have you placed your trust in Christ for your eternal salvation? You could walk out today and fall over on the stairs right now down the church here with a heart attack. You could get hit by a car. You could find out you have stage four terminal cancer next week. Are you ready? Are you ready? Don't let one more day go by. Today is the day of salvation. I want to just end this message with some frequently asked questions about heaven. And we'll work through a few of them here. Number one, will we know everything in heaven? Some people take the verse back in, uh, in the New Testament here that says, we will know fully in 1 Corinthians as we are fully known. Okay? They say, oh, we'll just get to heaven and we'll know every single thing that there is to know. That's actually not true. And the reason it's not true is because it's impossible for you to know everything there is to know. Just as much as it's impossible for you to travel from one end of the universe to the other. Because people keep discovering newer and newer and newer things out there. And it's the same thing with God. God is infinite in his wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And you are finite. You will continue to learn things in heaven. In fact, things that you maybe don't know that somebody else knows better, you'll go to them and say, hey, tell me about this part of God that I don't understand. And that's one of the most amazing things I think about being a human being, is that aha moment where you learn something new and it opens your eyes to how amazing God is. And that's going to be continuing on forever and ever in heaven. Second question, will we all be equal in heaven? No, we will not be equal. As we saw in this passage, there are kings, there are rulers, there are authorities in heaven. And the problem is, is so many people in this life, they think, well, I'll have my fun now and I'll get in by the skin of my teeth. But they don't understand that what they do in this life impacts heaven. C.S. Lewis described it as a pebble in a pond. 
the pebble being this life now. And that pebble that you drop in the pond expands. And the things you do in this life are the beginning of the things that will expand into eternity. And so don't be like people who think, well, have my fun now and repent at the end. No, get started now. Those things will impact eternity because you'll impact so many people around you with your life in the Lord that you'll increase those that go to heaven. And that impact will be great. Number three, do the blessed in heaven see us now? Do your dead relatives see you on earth? Okay? I believe that they do. Because according to Hebrews 12, 1, it says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And what that says to me is they're, they've finished the race and they're cheering you on in the race. And I don't know how exactly it works. You know, maybe there's like a video room, you know, video highlights for Pastor Scott's day, right? You know, but it's not like, you know, they're looking at all the bad things, Pastor Scott, what are you doing down there, you know? So I don't even know how that works, but I believe that they're cheering us on, that they can see us. Um, what will we be doing all day? This is a big one, right? We'll be so bored in heaven, right? No. No, you'll be doing some of the same things that you love that make you human now. Working, tilling the soil, tending to your garden, meeting people for coffee, having relationships, getting together to sing, reading books, whatever. All these different things that you love now will be there, but without the curse and with all, without all the limitations that keep it from being fun now. Maybe if you're really old and sitting here today, you haven't had fun in a while because of the state that you're in. You wish you could do all those things you would, were doing when you were young, and you'll be able to. Will there be jobs in heaven? Yes, there will be jobs in heaven. God created work as the very first thing that he had man do. And work is an amazing thing. The only thing that makes it bad now is the curse because we work by the sweat of our brow. There, we won't be working by the sweat of our brow. I imagine you just throw the seed down and it just pops up and you harvest it and it's, it's amazing. Plus, right, we also see that there are probably won't be certain jobs in heaven, right? <laughs> no police officers, no hospital staff, you know, no prison guards. But there will be different jobs that you can do. I'm hoping to do a little barbering, maybe give Jesus a little beard trim or something like that on my corner, <laughs> you know? My kids asked me, Dad, what do you want to do for the first thousand years in heaven? I said, I want to be a golf course manager. You know, so, and we know golf will be there because it's the heavenly game, so that'll be awesome. <laughs> will my family still be my family in heaven? It's going to be a little bit different because we are all brothers and sisters in heaven, but I think that you're going to recognize your family. Well, that was my, you know, dad on earth, or that was my wife on earth. And I asked my wife, Mary, I said, can I live, you know, near you in heaven? She's like, yeah, maybe on the same block down on the end or something like that. And if you're good, you can live a little closer to me. And then one of the ones that we get a lot of times from teenagers is their sex in heaven. Okay. I like how C.S. Lewis described this because he was talking about how we describe sex to little children. Okay. So a little child, you're talking to them about sex, and the only thing that they can think of as the most wonderful thing in the world is chocolate. And they ask the question, so is there chocolate in sex? And you say, well, that's not really how the experience works. It doesn't really add to it or whatever. And they say, well, if there's no chocolate, I don't want to have sex, right? And some people think that way about heaven. Well, there's no sex in heaven, then I don't want to be there. This is like teenagers who've never had sex, you know, so they like, in fact, one teenager said to me one time, uh, I hope the Lord doesn't return yet until I can have sex at least with one person, you know? 
you know, their bride or whatever. I was like, you're missing the point of heaven, you know. It's, it's different. It's, it's not like this earth. We're all family there. And it's wonderful. We are actually the bride of Christ in heaven. And the last one I get is, are there sports in heaven? Competition. I think competition is not something evil. I think competition is something that's God-given. This desire to win and struggle and do our best and you know, hit the ball far and all that kind of thing, there's nothing wrong with that. There's something amazingly human, especially when you watch like little kids who are just out there having a wonderful time. They don't care who wins or loses. They just want to play the game. And so I think these things are all about who we are as created humans. The most wonderful part of these going on into eternity. And I look forward to that so much with you all, right? Friends and believers and family that we are already beginning here on earth, continuing on into heaven. I'm excited to see people like Don, you know, what he's going to look like as a young man, you know? It's an amazing promise. And this is so important for us to keep this in our minds. Some people don't think about heaven very much. They say, well, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. They're thinking about heaven all the time. I think that's what makes you earthly good. That's what makes you effective as one who presents the gospel. Because you're trying to get people there. (laughs) You know? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your promises of heaven. Thank you, Lord, that we can get excited about this place. That we don't have to fear death, but we can embrace it. Because we know that we will go right from life to life with you forever. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.